Hello there and welcome to episode 95 of the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. I'm your host Gary Turner and thank you for joining me today as I explore the world of diversity and inclusion and belonging with Toby Milden, um, who is an author and also founder of Milden. A couple of the insights I wanted to share with you up front to show you how rich this conversation is, is that when I actually spoke during this discussion about myself being a white male, uh, Toby added that diversity includes everybody. We need to make sure that everybody, every single person is included and taken on the journey because it is only when businesses reflect the communities in which they're based and the talent that's around them and the communities in which they serve that they become high-performing businesses. What a powerful, powerful message. Every single person needs to be included and of course that makes sense systemically Otherwise, we will continue to see so much of the dysfunction that we see today. Also, another thing I'd like to share is that um, I really, it really made me chuckle when uh, Toby spoke about the fact that sometimes he likes to be sarcastic. Um, when people are talking about the fact that they're asking for a business case with DNI, uh, he will say sometimes, I'll write the business case with DNI when you write the business case as to why we should hire non-disabled people. What a powerful reflection for all of us as we reflect on the DNI journey and whether or not we're just doing a tick box or whether we genuinely want to be fully inclusive as per the uh, previous comment. And finally, I really loved it how Toby spoke about that his recommendation is to use reverse mentoring um, with someone from a different background, lean back, lean forward and step in. And you can learn more about those three steps that Toby recommends um, later in the podcast. But how many people in your network don't look like you or you go out of your way to intentionally um, have a conversation, understand somebody else's experience that is not this does not look or sound the same as yourself. I try and do that, but I've not done that anywhere near as much as I thought I was doing it, to be honest. So some great insights to share up front. So enjoy the conversation. Uh, I really hope you stay with us to the end. There's so much richness in this uh, discussion with Toby Milden uh, from Milden, who is a design, uh, sorry, diversity and inclusion architect. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And today I've got a really inspiring human for you in Toby Milden. Uh, Toby is an inclusion architect and has extensive experience working in consultancy for people such in the past, such as Deloitte, also works at the BBC and is now independent for the last 12 months. So welcome to the podcast, Toby. Hey, Gary. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining me today. And as we get going, there's another really exciting thing in that you've had a new book released um, uh, very recently. So would you mind maybe just introducing yourself a little bit more extensively for our listeners that are kind enough to join us today? Yeah, so um, I'm Toby and I work with HR directors predominantly and senior business leaders to really help them hardwire diversity and inclusion into their organisations so that it's, be, it's seen as business as usual. I'll be currently working with um, a large media organisation, a publisher, looking at projects like how do we de-bias decision-making um, and how do they become a, a, a disability-confident employer so that they can attract uh, a, a wider variety of, of talent into the business. 
Fantastic. And what, what do you feel in terms of the book coming out? Because I'd love to explore that with you today, which is inclusive growth. What was your inspiration for that, Toby? Where, where did that idea come from? So a lot of the inspiration within my book came from me working in in-house uh, at organisations as a, a diversity and inclusion practitioner. Um, and partly I was, it was looking at what I thought went well in terms of best practice and and what other organizations should be doing so that diversity and inclusion becomes the the fabric of the business mm-hmm. but equally i was looking at all of the stuff that was frustrating me and, and really you know get you know really getting my goat and um, as a practitioner where i thought organizations were making uh, mistakes or missteps in trying to achieve greater inclusion and i put the two together and i came up with a a a framework or a model that helps businesses to implement diversity and inclusion um, based based on those experiences. Uh, I think it's so powerful, you know, myself as, you know, a white male, um, you know, unless we understand each other's experience, yeah, so your experience is Toby, mine is Gary, and the other seven and a half billion people on the planet, that experience part is so important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, and you, you touched on something there because you said, you know, as, as me as a white male, um, what I am finding in organisations is that, that that white men in the business are feeling like that actually that they're, they're missing out on this diversity and inclusion journey. Um, and, and the thing that I keep stressing to my clients when I do consulting or training with them or, you know, however I work with them, is I say that diversity includes everybody. Um, and we need to make sure that everybody every single person is included and, and taken on the journey um, because it's only when businesses really reflect the communities in which they're based and the talent that's around them um, and the communities in which they serve in terms of customers that um, you know that they become high performing businesses that's really really interesting point that Toby because it's like this sort of inside out view that actually within an organization, so we, we can see our, our demographic, we know who's working for us, but how does that sort of amplify or how is that represented in societal, with your customers, with the suppliers, etc. And I love the way that you focused on establish, evolve and enhance. I think they're really positive, optimistic ways of trying to bring DNI to life in organizations. Do you mind speaking a bit about the sort of established part, you know, why, why is that so important when embedding d and into a framework within an organisation? Yeah, so um, within established, we look at two things. We look at clarity and culture. Um, clarity is all about setting the strategy for the organisation, but it's also things like understanding why diversity and inclusion is important to the organisation, what data or employee insights that you can get your hands on to help shape your strategy. Um, what three talking points do, do you need to give to your chief executive so that they are able to talk confidently from a podium about why diversity and inclusion is important to the, to the organisation? So we do all of that first to get, really get clear on why it's so strategically important to the business And I've called the book Inclusive Growth because I believe that when organisations are inclusive and they are able to attract and retain diverse talent, that they are able to grow. They are better performing businesses. They're able to 
break into new markets, they're able to recruit more people, whatever growth represents for them, they're able to do it if they can do it in a much more inclusive way. So we talk about that in the first step of clarity. And then, and then we move on to culture. And that's really thinking intentionally about what does your culture look like now? How, what would a more inclusive culture look like in the future? And what are the practical steps that you need to take to shift your culture from where you are now to where you want to be? Um, and we, it's really important that we do those two things right at the beginning in terms of establishing diversity and inclusion, or, in, or indeed re-establishing diversity and inclusion in some cases, where an organization has, has started to make lots of inroads in diversity and inclusion. But when they reflect, they think, well, actually, it's not really having the impact that I thought it would make. Um, or perhaps we're treating this a bit like a box ticking exercise and we're not being particularly inclusive in our diversity and inclusion strategy. Um, so we, we, aren't, we ask and answer all these questions in that, in that phase just to really get clarity on, on, on where we are and how we proceed from there. I absolutely love, Toby, how you're intentionally trying to find those three sound bites for a CEO that they can speak confidently from the podium on. I think yeah. that's such a gap in the inclusion yeah. space because I think, and I'd love you to challenge me on this, but what I see from my network when I'm in conversation is there's just so much fear because either we're too busy that we don't make intentionally find the time to understand why inclusion matters or we're too myopically focused on the metrics that we don't make time to understand inclusion, why it matters. So to find those sound bites and almost make it easy for that CEO or senior team to lean into this conversation, I think is absolutely genius, Toby. Yeah, and when I talk to my clients and find out what, what, you know, what are the things that is you know, preventing them from becoming a more inclusive organization, they pretty much all say it's the chief executive who is not walking the talk when it comes to diversity and inclusion and, 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 and the senior leadership team under the CEO is not really walking the talk. So it's a major sticking point. Um, and, and we have to really nail down why diversity and inclusion is so important to the, to the, to the future of the organization. And from your point of view, if, if I was a CEO right now and you were coming to consult with me, Toby, what, what are some of those clear messages from your side, your lived experience, but also from your work, as to why we need to build more inclusive organisations and quickly? Yeah, so there's, there's a few things that can go on in that conversation. So, you know, one is that it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, we're talking about human rights um, and and I've, I've actually aligned my business to one of the United Nations goals. So when I created my business, I was thinking, I need something, I need a North Star to be working towards. And so I used the United Nations goals and I picked one, which is goal number eight, which is about decent work for everybody and economic growth. And And I think when I'm talking to a CEO, I'm saying, well, actually, you know, regardless of the business case, because quite often they want to talk to me about the business case. And I say, well, the business case is quite simple. It's the, it's the right thing to do. We should be, um, you know, we should be creating businesses that enables um, anybody to work in the business, regardless of background, to be able to come and contribute their best work so that that business thrives. So 
that's the business case. Um, and I am a bit sarcastic with people sometimes. And when they say, well, you know, um, for example, sh show me the business case why why we should recruit more disabled people, for example. You know, and you know, I, I myself am in a wheelchair and have been since I was, you know, born. Um, I will turn around to them and say, well, I will, I will write the business case for you when you write the business case why we should hire non-disabled people. And then, the, yeah, yeah, and then there's a bit of silence at that point. But, you know, the whole point is, um, yeah, with, you know, this is not only the right thing to do, but it's really important for the, for the growth of the business. Yeah, it's, you know, this is called value through vulnerability. And that's why I love these conversations, uh, Toby, because, you know, I ask my questions intentionally from that sort of, that, that leadership lens, you know, what's the ROI on humanity? I wrote a piece a while back, again, being sarcastic. Like yeah. you are, around like, do, we, do we really need to keep justifying why we invest in human beings? Yeah. Or we need to bring them together to connect or why we need to bring them together to learn each other's experiences. And I think we are, I call it the journey from just our head, Toby, towards our heart. Mm. But we need our head, of course, but we also need to lean into our heart more. And I'm wondering how that may or, or, or may not come up in the work you do around trying to, you know, get people out of the head into their heart for this conversation to accelerate. Yeah, I've, I've had, I've been contemplating over the, the head and the heart, you know, and it's really common with um, business change consultants and people that work in that area where they say, you know, um, you know, you need to appeal to the head and the heart when you're talking to business executives. And to me, that's all, all I'm doing really is just using different types of language that stick with the business. Mm -hmm. So some organizations, they're very analytical, they're very logical, they're very data driven. They want to see numbers, they want to see evidence. Um, and that's fine. That, that's the culture of that organization to want to see that type of information. Then there's other organizations that are, you know, more appealing to the human side of, of business where they're saying well what's it feel like to work in the organization you know what's the employee experience and that and that, but that's just a different language that's just their language so whenever I talk to an organization and my my kind of tip to anyone really who wants to progress diversity and inclusion in their organization is is find out what language sticks within the business and, and speak that language in order to get your message across that's, that's really helpful, actually, because I'm, I'm now thinking about the, the other parts of, that you share in your book around Evolve. And that's the bit where I feel personally my own journey is, um, you know, I feel I'm fairly decent personally around Establish. But I'm certainly in Evolve stage personally, Toby, around this sort of understanding of inclusion and its importance. And I remember um, Deborah Rue, the lovely lady who wrote um, Inclusion Branding. Yeah. I spoke to her before and I remember the statistic which she said, one in seven people have or will have a disability during their lifetime and most of those people are locked out of work currently so so how do we as part of your role as an architect i'm really interested to explore that that wider role so does that mean that you'll go in and literally design the space as well as the practices with people or maybe tell myself and the listeners a bit more about what you actually do um, and how you bring that to life toby yeah, so the, the reason why I called myself a diversity and inclusion architect was because I, when I work with my clients, 
I want to co-create something with them. I want to create a solution that's fit for their business. And I want to create the whole package. So I don't want to treat diversity and inclusion like a box ticking exercise or where we create a little bit of training or or a program that sits on the side of your business. I want it to encompass the the whole um and and also i want it to i want to you know i want to create something that's like an architect studio where people come in we get around a big table long table and we you know and take together we co-create solutions to making your business more inclusive um and for me to go in and sort of create the the infrastructure of the solutions for my clients problems is is why i call myself an architect that's so cool and m- m- may i say you're the first person i've ever come across with that title i think it's brilliant <laughs> but, it, but it speaks to what you do so beautifully as well it's not just a title you know yeah. and I think that, that's what's so powerful for me toby and i the thing i'm really excited about is that word co-create you just used so maybe you can speak a bit more why that's so important in bringing bringing your work and this agenda to life yeah so co-create I'm I'm a big fan of co-creation for for a couple of reasons. So, so one is um, a, a good friend of mine. Um, she's um, she she's really high up in um, politics. Um, has um, spent a, all of her career doing disability rights. In the '90s, she was the kind of woman who chained herself to a bus uh, in London. Um, don't know if you kind of remember those scenes where disabled people were fighting for access to public transport um and she said you know there's this phrase from disability rights campaigning which goes nothing about us without us and it's a phrase that's really stuck with me and the reason why i like co-creation is because so many organizations when they when they implement diversity and inclusion it's usually done from the hr department done to people in the organization rather than done with and one of the things I talk about in my book is is kind of the, the central chapter is colleague experience and design and basically this is user experience in design or human-centered design thinking um, that you know prior prior to me becoming a diversity and inclusion practitioner I, w- I worked in technology as a project manager in user experience and design and so I've brought all of that background as well into my into my DNI thinking. Um, so a there's that co-creation with the organisation to solve employees' problems, and I think it starts with a simple question, which is if an employee is going on a journey, it could be say re- your recruitment journey, for example, um, or it could be becoming a parent for the first time. Um, what are the speed humps or roadblocks? that prevents an employee from completing that journey? And then how can you co-create to remove those speed humps and roadblocks? So that's kind of the first point really, and in terms of co-creation for designing solutions. The other point is that when we talk about diversity and inclusion, oftentimes it becomes a bit like a them and us, so again, there's people sitting in the business saying, oh, you know, we really do need to recruit more disabled people for X, Y, Z reason. Um, and we're going we're gonna to design these solutions because we believe these are the things that are preventing us from 
recruiting more disabled people or promoting more disabled people that we already have in the business. And it's like the solutions are done to the disabled people who are treated a, a bit like this kind of group at arm's length. Um, and I think if we are to be inclusive, we need to bring everybody closer and, and work together on coming up with solutions that work for people. So thank you so much for sharing that. that the co-creation work comes up a lot for me in, in some of the work I do internally at my, my corporate, Toby. But I, I love how you're bringing your technical expertise, you know, your software expertise together with your inclusion um, experience. I think that's really unique. And I guess it also speaks beautifully to your architect language. Mm -hmm. I guess a sort of technical architect meets DNI architect. You're a, you're a very cool chap, Toby, yeah. I have to say. It's very, it's very, very cool. I can, see, I, can see, I can see how all this is coming together. Thanks very much. <laughs> In terms of the last part of the book, so you, the first section of your book is establish, the middle part is evolve, and the last part is around enhance. Do you mind speaking a little bit to that? What, what's the objective of that last part of, um, or the last area of your book? Yes, yeah, so enhancing is all about how you can make a bigger impact following establish. Um, so establish is about um, getting, you know, understanding why you're doing this. Um, the end of, so the, the last part in, in, in enhance is about how do you, how do you really celebrate yourself as, a, as an inclusive employer? How do you also work collaboratively uh, across the organization uh, through your supply chain with strategic partners, with the rest of your organization? Because a lot of organizations, diversity and inclusion is kind of driven from the HR department. Um, they're not taking the rest of the organization along with them. And actually everybody, you know, diversity touches every part of the business. So if you take, for example, if you say, for example, something like, well, we, you know, if a business wants to recruit more disabled people, then a company really needs to think about what assistive technologies it can provide to disabled people. Um, so does a business provide, for example, software for people who are dyslexic? Does it provide um, speech to text software like I use to control my laptop? Um, so in that instance, you need to get your IT department involved in procuring those licenses and, and getting that software onto your IT catalog. So that's what we talk about in that chapter. Um, but it's also about how do we reach beyond the business? So many organizations, for example, have strategic partners. They might outsource their IT to another company or their finance service desk. Or um, if, they, you know, if they have front of house staff, receptionists or security people, that might be outsourced to another company. So how, do, how does a business get those organizations on board to help help you with your own business objectives around diversity and inclusion it's so lovely i love this sort of bigger system approach that you're focusing on toby so yes it's, it's inclusion diversity focused you're trying to help organizations you know help individuals be seen have the, the you know the rights their opportunity but then it's this beautiful vision of actually how do we bring all of these external partners and stakeholders together is that something that is common within the inclusion and diversity space to really be looking at that bigger system thinking, do you think? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> um, so, well, that's a bit unfair. So yeah, it can be found. It can be found. Uh, there are lots of businesses doing it. 
um, the reason why I wrote the book is is to give that bigger macro system uh, to so anyone reading my book is effectively looking at diversity and inclusion from thirty thousand feet, and they've got a a blueprint or a framework that they can they can work with. Um, the reason why I wrote that is because so many organisations they get very excited about diversity and inclusion and they and they go head first into creating initiatives for example, or programs which are designed to fix people rather than fix the business culture and infrastructure. Um, and they get really excited. And then, they, and then they, a few months later, they get really uh, frustrated that those initiatives are not making the impact that they thought they would make. Or there's grumblings. You know, people are saying, well, hang on a minute. Um, you, you've put on a program to recruit more women into senior leadership positions. What if I'm what if I'm a woman who doesn't want to be in a senior leadership position? Um, what about people from, say, an ethnic minority background? Um, when are we going to get a program? Um, and if I'm a black female, can I go on that program? And and we're not really taking that intersectionality into account. And then and then organisations start to we start to see some of the problems arise around not being able to make an impact, not being able to have sustainable change, not being able to get return on investment or return on effort. Um, and then that's when people come to me and say, help. Um, you know, <laughs> we know this is important to the organization, but we're just not getting the impact that we thought we were going to get. It's You've got me thinking, Toby, about, you, you previously spoke about the fact, of course, you know, you work a lot with HR directors, you know, HR tends to take the lead on inclusion and diversity. Is it in the right place, IND? Should it be sitting with the, the C-suite rather than in HR? Although you could say HR is part of C-suite. I'm just wondering what your thoughts openly might be about where this sits in the future. Yeah, this is something, this is something I actually talked about in my book. So, um, it's it's interesting. So you're right. You're right. A lot of the time, diversity and inclusion is driven from the HR department. Unfortunately, in a lot of businesses, it doesn't always get it get the kind of the sponsorship of the HR director. It's somebody kind of middle halfway down the HR department that takes on the responsibility, and then they wonder why they're not getting the impact because they just they're just not in that position of authority. So. Whilst a lot of businesses have it from the HR department, ideally being sponsored and, and, and proactively driven by a HR director, in my opinion, a, a, it should definitely be on the C-suite board. The chief executive should absolutely take personal accountability and responsibility for driving diversity and inclusion. And if there is one person on the C-suite that should take responsibility for it. It should be the chief operating officer because it's their responsibility for the efficient running of an organization and, and across the organization as well. You know, they, they look across the whole of the business and, and, and they're, 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 they're in a prime position to be taking diversity and inclusion uh, as a responsibility on the board. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's, in, it's again, it's all experience. Yeah, you've got your lens. Everybody's got a lens on this. But I can't help feeling personally that, you know, there's so much data out there, isn't there? There's such evidence as to why inclusion matters, diversity matters. 
but there's a lot of the same conversations happening, certainly the last five years that I've experienced in this space. So I do wonder if there is that gap you've just spoken to, if we're actually going to take the data and make it actually impact change. Maybe there is a shift in emphasis required. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, it depends what language the organization is speaking. Um, you know, I've spoken to some chief operating officers who they like data, they like numbers, they like evidence. So if they like that, then that's what we present. So we, you know, we present employee insights and data, um, you know, a really good calculation, for example, if, you, if, you're, if you're just looking at gender in the business, if you can understand why people are leaving the organization and then split that between men and women, you're, you might see a difference in say, you know, people are leaving an organization because of um, uh, um, lack of um, flexible working opportunities. And that might be impacting on women more than men. And then you can do a cost calculation. So you can say, well, you know, if we're losing this amount of people for this reason, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a similar exercise what I did in my, one of my previous employers is we basically calculated the cost of the business and we presented that, that cost to the, the business owners. Um, and, and then the penny dropped. They were like, this is costing the business a fortune losing people because we're not very good at flexible or agile working um and then we put in really good agile working practices that everyone in the business enjoyed it wasn't an initiative that we just did for the women of the organization it was it was stuff that benefited the whole organization and at the same time we saw our retention of women increase and the attrition decrease so thank you for sharing that example. It's, it's, it's really funny because you know, I'm not just, just for anyone that's listening that they, they listen to this podcast, Toby, I, I'm like, I'm not the numbers guy. Like I, I'm so not the numbers guy. I'm very much the sort of touchy feely go sort of like intuitive type person. But I know, as you say, we need to meet people where they're at, depending yes. on where they sit within an organizational context. But I'd love you to maybe share as we start to wrap up. So are this, cause it's great conversation, but I'd love to also celebrate, you know, Who's doing great stuff in this space right now that you're really inspired by? Yeah, so there are some really good um, examples. I, I get asked this question a lot. Um, which is the organization that is um, doing you know, really well in this, in diversity and inclusion? And my answer is there is no golden bullet and there is no one organization that is doing really well. However, there are pockets of um, uh, or there are examples of good practice or best practice all over the place. Um, and some of them I, I managed to feature in my book, which is quite handy for, you know, being able to sort of give people good examples. But um, we can look at, for EY, for example, I interviewed in my book, um, you know, in it, we, we were talking about the end, the end chapter, which is about celebration, which is about how do you project yourself as an inclusive employer? Once you've done all the hard work, by the way, on becoming an inclusive employer. How do you then project that? How do you then create your employer brand as an inclusive employer? So I interviewed EY as part of that chapter because I was very cynical and I said that a lot of businesses, they go for awards and they win awards and they're, you know, they have, they're in the press and they have really nice awards evenings. And the, but the following day, there are still people in the organization that feel like they don't belong, that it's not a particularly inclusive organization. 
So I had this conversation with EY, with um, Sally, who's the head of EY in the UK for, um, for DNI. And their strategy over the last 18 months or so has been to focus more on empowering employees to tell their own stories. So giving them the tools and, and, and the confidence or the empowerment to be able to talk openly on, online at conferences, internally as well at the organization about what it's like to work for the business um, and, and less of a reliance on going winning awards. And they only really go for awards where it comes with some sort of helpful benchmarking exercise, that kind of thing. Um, and again, this is something I mentioned in my book because you know, I've worked in roles before where it felt like I was spending most of my time filling out award entries and not really actually making any difference to the business. And it, it was really frustrating when I was in that job because I was just like, I could just see stuff all around me that needed fixing in terms of being a more inclusive employer. But I, I was just, you know, filling out award entries and I was getting really frustrated. Um, and so, so that's one example. Um, and then I think, you know, when I left Deloitte, um, we, I was responsible for running our um, return to work program which was seen as, you know, really good practice. And I felt what was really encouraging as I was leaving the firm is that we were talking about how do we make the program business as usual? So rather than having two intakes a year of people that have had a career break of two or more years that want to return to accountancy or professional services, um, how do we just make this business as usual so that anybody that's had a career break of a couple of years has a good opportunity of getting work in the organization and that was an encouraging sign for me lovely thanks for sharing that i also i'd love to pick up on the language you use as well again back to that part which is so important and i love that you you use almost good practice more than best practice and that really speaks to me because i think best practice makes it sound like there's only one way whereas good practice is sort of easy to share or maybe we can iterate sort of agility wise and i think it's I just think it's so powerful the example you're sharing is that almost going full circles where we started Toby that like EY are helping slow down get present come together on a human level and share stories mm. and that's more important than going and winning awards I think that's such a powerful message yeah yeah definitely definitely I think it's the you know it's, it's definitely the right the right strategy to to go to do you know I read a book once and the reason why it got me thinking was that I read a book once where um, if you look at the Times top 50 employers for women, um, a lot of those employers listed in the top 50 have the, the worst gender pay gap in the country. And it got me thinking about, well, how, you know, how, there's this disconnect between winning an award to say that you are a particularly inclusive employer. And in this instance, uh, a really good employer for women, yet you've got some of the worst gender pay gaps in the country so it's just it's just incongruent um and i've worked in organizations that have won awards um you know and they win awards as the best company in a particular category or whatever and then i go to work the following day um and then my manager does something to make me feel like i don't belong to the organization because i have a disability and so there's this disconnect and i'm just thinking something's not quite 
right in there and actually there's a there's a better way for employers to be projecting themselves as a as an inclusive employer and attracting that talent because if we if we look at something like unconscious bias we know that it's human nature to want to hang out with people that are just like ourselves so when we create our <clears throat> employer branding that's what we project we just project more of the same and then we attract more of the same um, and if we really do want diversity because we believe that it's a higher performing business we can innovate more we can make better decisions we're more profitable all of those benefits that we receive um, we need to be projecting a different image in order to attract a wider variety of talent well you've, you've you're beautifully um, creating a segue that i wanted to create today toby so well done um towards a masterclass actually that you're going to be um, leading on the 5th of march around this very topic so celebrating inclusive inclusion and diversity through evp an employer brand and that seems to be speaking exactly to the, this topic toby absolutely yeah so um so I, my book my book has just been released uh and then my plan is um to create master classes or training uh that go with each with each chapter so anyone that basically wants to go deeper and understand how they actually implement what i talk in the, about in the book then they can come along to a you know a day-long training course uh, um, for each one, I'm, I'm partnering up with an expert in their field. So, um, as you say, the, I'm, I'm creating one around inclusive employer branding um, with a guy called Miles, who runs an employer branding agency called Movement. And so we're putting our heads together. You know, he's bringing his branding expertise. I'm bringing my diversity and inclusion expertise. And we've got this intersection between the two. So hopefully the idea is that we have a really powerful uh, training day for everybody um, and we will be talking about you know how is it how do you actually create that inclusive employer brand um, and people will walk away from the training session with with um, with a blueprint for for an inclusive employer brand fantastic um, well I'm certainly going to be evaluating that myself Toby seriously so you may well see me at some point in 2020 at one of your events because yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's genuinely really fascinating I, I think as we look to to sort of close out a lovely conversation today, what are you, what are your hopes for twenty twenty and beyond? What are you hoping the the books impact will be? You know, these masterclasses impact will be. What's your sort of your your hopeful vision um, as we move forward? Yeah. So the most the, the immediate impact. If anyone reads my book, I suppose the immediate impact I want to make in the world is that people think differently about managing or implementing diversity and inclusion in the organization that they start to think of it much more strategically that it is that it's a big agenda item uh, at board level that they're really thinking about how they can get it into the fabric of the organization rather than treating it as a, a box ticking exercise or one of those things that you that you have to do because your clients are now asking you to demonstrate that you are thinking about diversity and inclusion when you when you pitch for work or put in proposals um, and so that's kind of step number one and step number two is that I really want to be in a world where um, we have decent work and and that leads to economic growth for for everybody regardless of of background so that everybody can bring their talents 
and innate skills and abilities to the workplace to solve the problems that we need to solve in the world. Beautiful. What a beautiful way to wrap up. And I'd love your, your use of the word innate because we've, we've all got gifts and just so often they're not seen currently. Yeah. And I yeah. think it's wonderful. Well, last word for you, Toby, before we, uh, we wrap up, anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with or maybe just a, a reflection as to how to lean into this? If maybe there's someone listening that is feeling a bit afraid or they're like, I've not had a conversation with someone that's got a disability or someone that doesn't look like me before, what would your, what would maybe one little recommendation be as a reflection? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, when I, so when I do my training, uh, I, do, I do training around the conscious bias one of the strategies that I talk about is reverse mentoring, which was created by Jack Welch at GE. So um, when he created it, he was thinking, um, you know, somebody more senior and experienced in the business is mentored by somebody less experienced and typically younger or junior. Um, but actually, we've adopted it in diversity and inclusion where you get mentored by somebody who is from a different background to you, just to really open up your world. And then when I do the training, I, I talk about doing this in three stages. So lean back, lean forwards and step in. So lean back is where you go home and you listen to something or watch something or read something differently that you wouldn't normally listen, watch or read. So my favorite is going on TED Talks, for example, um, you know, or I mean, the very fact that somebody's listening to this podcast suggests that they are interested in the topic of diversity and inclusion and they're, they're open to the idea of talking to people from a different background. Um, so yeah, that's step one. Step two is go, proactively going and networking with, with people that you wouldn't normally hang out with. So my favorite is meetup.com. There's loads of meetup groups on there. Um, you know, like LGBT people working in the city, you know, women in technology, disability groups you name it it's all on there um or if somebody's working for a big organization often big organizations will have employee networks that organize events so go along to an, a networking event that you wouldn't ordinarily go along to and then this, the th final one is is um step in which is actually go and get yourself a mentor so find somebody within the organization who's from a different background to you and um and go out for coffee with them strike up a, a friendship or a relationship with them and you know just get a sense of what it's like for them working in the organization um and ideally they've got some sort of skill that they can teach you as well like maybe they're really good at a piece of software that you could you know that you're not very proficient in um and they could teach you that piece of software or something so that that's a good way of doing it I'm literally buzzing. What an absolute gift you've just shared for us all. Um, at the end. Honestly, Tope, like, and I've, I've real lessons for me there as well. I feel I'm, I'm fairly good at a couple of those elements, but not good at all of them. So like, you've really given me a fantastic challenge and opportunity today as well. So Toby, thank you so, so much for joining me today. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's been great to see you. Uh, what's the best way for people to follow up with you? What's the best mediums to, to reach out and connect directly with you, Toby? Um, so if any, so... The first step would be to read my book. Um, it's on Amazon. If you just type, type in inclusive growth in the Amazon search box, um, my book will come up. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn uh, all of the time. So that's a good way of connecting me. And my website is <laughs> milden.co.uk. 
Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure all of those details in the show notes. And again, thank you so much um, for all you do, Toby, and uh, have a great day. Great. Take care. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Hi there, it's Gary Turner wrapping up this brilliant conversation with Toby Milden. I just want to share a few of my key takeaways from this conversation. Uh, the first one was where he spoke about the fact that the business case of DNI, um, we shouldn't really need it, it's just the right thing to do. And we're talking about human rights. He believes that we should be taught, uh, creating businesses that enable everybody to work in the business, regardless of their background, so that they can come and contribute their best work so that the business thrives. As we discussed in this conversation, there's so many reports, so much evidence as to the value of diversity and inclusion, yet it's not, uh, it doesn't seem to be sticking as well as otherwise it could be. And what I really enjoyed uh, that linked to that is that uh, one of Toby's tips to anyone that wants to progress DNI and their organisation is to find out what language sticks within the business and speak that language in order to get your message across. So myself as someone that works in international sales as well as having a, passion, uh, a personal passion for the people agenda. You know, I know I need to speak, for example, in terms of margin and gross margin and absenteeism and other metrics that will speak directly to the bottom line um, but have a human component behind them. Um, and I think one of the most insightful and exciting opportunities that uh, Toby shared linked to these last two comments was he said, what are the three talking points that you need to give to your chief executive so that they are able to talk confidently from a podium about why DNI is important to the organisation? There's a great example of using the language um, of the business to try and drive through and reconnect um, this agenda within the organisation. And finally, I really like that Toby speaks about the fact he likes co-creation because so many organisations, when they implement DNI, it's usually done from the HR department, done to people in the organisation rather than done with. And I think this is part of HR's challenge so often. So many great people wanting to make a difference, but they are still seen too often as a policy department and not a strategic value-adding department. I appreciate that's a generalisation, but it's a very, very common conversation that I'm having and seeing across the network. Great people, big hearts, wanting to do the best possible job, but still find themselves accidentally doing to others rather than co-creating with others. And so I would love to know your thoughts, feelings and challenges um, to this conversation I took so much away personally. You can find Toby's contact details at the in the show notes. Do buy his book, uh, Inclusive Growth. And do reach out to him should you want him to come and speak um, at any of your events. And he has that workshop coming up soon also. And if you want to get in contact with me, name's Gary Turner. You'll find me on Twitter at Gary, G-A-R-R-Y-I-P Catalyst. And also on Gary Interpersonal Catalyst on LinkedIn as well. And I'd love to have a conversation with you, find out what resonates, what you would challenge. And until next time, thanks for joining Toby and I in this conversation. <laughs>